Amen. Aren't you grateful that God's love reached down to each and every one of us? I'm thankful for that reality. It's good to be here again Thursday night. And how many of you, is there anyone here that this is your first night uh, this week? Okay, amen. Very good. How many of you have been here all three nights? All right, very good. You're real troopers. Praise <laughs> the Lord. We've really been blessed uh, to be here and the... Uh, just the generous hospitality, the accommodations, and just your uh, hospitality has just been a real blessing. And so we've, we have been blessed uh, to be here at uh, Canaan Baptist Church. Seeing Dr. Childs uh, down front, I have to tell you, uh, I was, uh, this was, goes back a few years, what was it, 2011, uh, I was in Dr. Childs' class, seminary class on uh, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. How many of you know the doctrine of salvation is pretty important? Amen. So if I'm wrong on my, my theology, um, you know who to blame, all right? I'm sure he's down here just uh, checking up on me, making sure I'm straight. Uh, but I really appreciate Dr. Childs and just his uh, heartbeat, not just uh, acad academically, but his passion. And that comes out very clearly. I really, that stood out uh, as I was a student in his class, really appreciate his life, ministry, and testimony. Real blessing. Let's take our Bibles. If you got your Bibles, let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And the verse we'll be looking at is on the screen. I need to just tell you right up front that we'll be looking at several different verses, but this is kind of the key capstone verse for tonight. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. How many of you, uh, just in all honesty, in your own heart, uh, how would you answer this question? Why do I do what I do? That's a question that I think is important for all of us to ask ourselves periodically, not just um, surface level, but down deep. What gets me up in the morning? What, what motivates me to do what I do? There's a lot of different um, motivations, um, perhaps uh, even represented in this room. One is just duty. This is a responsibility I've got to do. But even deeper than that, there can be several wrong motivations for why we do what we do. Uh, certainly to please other people. That's a wrong motivation. We know that. Um, perhaps setting, uh, uh, trying to measure up to a certain set of expectations uh, or trying to fit into a certain peer group um, is a wrong motivation. Um, how many of you know that the right motivation is because God loves us. Amen. We love Him because He first loved us. That's a powerful truth, and Paul recognized that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. The love of Christ constrains me. It compels me. It motivates me to do what I do. The love of Christ. 1 John 2.28 introduces us to a, another motivation that's not in conflict with God's love. It's actually complementary uh, to God's love. And that's what I want to draw our attention to tonight in our brief time together. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 28, it says this, 
And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we, have, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Lord, would you help us tonight in these next few minutes uh, just to glean all the truth from this verse and other passages that you want us to glean tonight. Lord, I acknowledge my need for you. I pray that you'd empower me with your spirit. And Lord, I pray even as we hear your message, we receive it with open, uh, open heart. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter 2 and verse 28, Now little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Could we just all read that verse out loud together? You can see it on the screen or your Bible there in front of you. 1 John chapter 2, 28. Let's read it all together. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I love this verse. You know the context that 1 John, it's all about fellowship. Uh, sometimes it's mistakenly interpreted as test of salvation, but that is not at all what the Apostle John is getting at. He's, he's referring to what it looks like to abide in Christ, what it looks like to have fellowship with Christ. He talks about things like walking in the light. Uh, dealing with sin, getting our sin cleansed under the blood. He talks about loving our brothers, our sisters, our Christian uh, fellow believers. Uh, he talks about obeying the commands of God. His commandments are not grievous. He walks through several different uh, aspects that really look like the outflow of walking with Jesus, our fellowship with Him. It's really captured in that word abide. And now, little children, abide in him. And again, I encourage you just as you evaluate your own life, Lord, am I abiding with you? Am I fellowshipping with you? Am I walking with you as a person? Not just doing a, a list of things, but I'm walking with you in dependence on you and obedience to you. That's the concept of abiding in Christ for the purpose that that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Wow. Jesus is coming. We know that. Amen. I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ is coming. There's a lot of verses all throughout the New Testament, especially that highlight Jesus is coming. Be ready. He could come at any, any moment. 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us about the, the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Um, don't let it come on you unawares. Be awake, be alert, be ready when Jesus comes. And this, this passage, 1 John 2, 28, uh, highlights a similar thing. Be ready, Jesus is coming. And when He comes, there's really two categories of Christians. Whether you pass from this life by natural means or if Jesus comes back and you're taken up in the rapture, that would be exciting, wouldn't it be? But there's really only two categories of Christians when it comes to the end of our life. When we stand before Jesus Christ, 
Can you imagine just for a moment what it would be like and what it will be like (coughs) when you stand before Christ? We won't stand as a group. We'll stand as individuals. And the Bible says that we will stand there to give an account of our lives. How we lived our lives after salvation. Remember, the judgment seat of Christ is just for believers. There's two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment that happens after uh, the millennium. And that's for all unsaved people. But before that, before the millennium, we believe, uh, really during the tribulation that's happening on this earth that Revelation 6 and 9 through 19 really talks about, all believers will have the sobering opportunity and responsibility to stand before Jesus and to give an account of how they live their life. There's only going to be two categories of people, and that's those who have confidence standing before Christ. And God, by your grace, I yielded to the work of your spirit and the circumstances you brought across my path. I yielded to you. I yielded to your grace. I have confidence because of Jesus. Or... being ashamed. Only those two two, uh, categories. And we have an opportunity today, while we have breath, to actually decide now which response we're going to have. The Apostle Paul came to the end of his life in 2 Timothy and he realized this fact that he had lived a life. He had finished the thought. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of life which God the righteous judge shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but to all those who love His appearing. Paul had that kind of confidence. In 1 John 2.28 we're challenged to have that kind of confidence. And the key, of course, is abiding in Christ. I want to highlight that specific motivation, uh, being able to stand before Christ one day, that this is what motivates you. Yes, God's love, but giving an account, a good account, confident, unashamed before Him. Is that the kind of account you want to give? Wow. So let's look at this motivation I want to just know, first of all, that God wants to lavish you with the blessing of fellowship with Him today and future reward in eternity. Both. So God's interested in fellowship with you right now today, the blessing of His (laughs) presence, the touch of His hand. But God also wants to lavish you in eternity with abundant eternal rewards. Jesus offers not just heaven, but treasures in heaven. Jesus offers not just eternal life, 
But Jesus offers and wants to lavish on you eternal rewards. And there's many rewards that are actually mentioned throughout Scripture. Uh, One that we perhaps are very familiar with is the concept of crowns, specifically where God gives His uh, faithful children crowns. There's five different crowns that are referred to, the crown of life, uh, the crown of glory, uh, the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing. The incorruptible crown. These five crowns are specifically mentioned as rewards. Uh, How about the overcomer rewards in Revelation 2 and 3? Remember the letters to the seven churches. I believe those were seven specific churches, uh, but they represent all churches today. They apply to you and I. And at the end of every single one of those letters, God gives an overcomer reward. And you may remember there's, okay, seven churches, five of them. There was something that God had to rebuke. They had to change. There were two that there was no um, condemnation. There was no rebuke. There was only commendation. But for every single one of them, here was the, the phrase, he that overcomes. And in the context, it's those who yield, those who obey the, the exhortation. That's given in the preceding verses. Not all believers are overcomers according to the Bible. Those who follow the exhortations given specifically in those letters. Wow. Overcomer rewards. I'll just highlight just a couple of these overcomer rewards. There's there's a lot that really demands a lot of uh, further study. I encourage you to do that. I have done it. It's a a rewarding study. Uh, but I'll just highlight too, remember the church at Laodicea, that seventh letter, that seventh church, they were the lukewarm church. They were the church that said, I don't have any needs. And God said, no, actually you're poor, wretched, blind, miserable, and naked. And he gave them the encouragement, in fact, the injunction, be zealous therefore and repent. And then God gave them the reward. He that overcomes, he that heeds this admonition, To him I will grant that he sits with me in my throne. One of the rewards, the eternal rewards that God offers to overcomers is to be able to sit with Christ in his throne. To reign with Christ. Just as Jesus is sitting with his Father in his throne, he's inviting us to be a partaker of that glory. There's another church that was given an overcomer reward. It's actually a verse right right before. It's in Revelation 3. It's the church at Sardis. And God had this to say. The church at Sardis, he said this. He said, there are a few names in Sardis that have not defiled their garments. And here's the reward. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. White raiments as a reward for overcomers. How about what Jesus said in Matthew 25? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's perhaps the, the best commendation we could ever receive is when we stand before the Lord to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's many other rewards that are mentioned. I just want to highlight those just as a specific example Specific examples of God's rewards. 
for those who are faithful, for those who abide in him, those who make it their goal to say, God, you know, I'm, life is difficult. There's trials, there's hardship, there's uncertainties, but thank you that I can stay connected with you. And as I abide in you, those turmoils, those hardships don't have to trip me up. By God's grace, I can stand unashamed with confidence at the judgment seat. This is what 1 John 2, 28 reminds us about. I want to go to just a couple other passages. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, of course we see in verse 15, Paul's motivation constrained by love. But notice in verse 8, he actually is referring, he's expressing this eternal vision that he's living for. In the, in the first few verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he's talking about laying aside this mortal flesh and exchanging it for immortal flesh, a new body. And then he says in verse 8, I say this, willing rather to be absent from the body as to be present with the Lord. Again, that eternal perspective. In verse 9, he says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Literally well-pleasing. So Paul had this motivation that God, to, my desire is to be with you. And one day to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And because of that fact, I labor diligently, not in my own strength, but in the strength of the Lord, to live a life well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. An accounting of our works. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3. Paul explains this a little bit further. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about a building, the fact that we as believers are builders. We, we're building on a foundation. We're e either building, there's only two types of materials, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. The one lasts, the one endures the testing fire and receives a reward. And the other is just burned up. And the consequence is suffering loss. Notice in verse number 14, If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. This is God's promise. Can you just picture with me, there's some parents, how many of you are parents in the room? Okay. Grandparents, all right, very good. You remember back, maybe you have children in your home right now. Uh, perhaps you can think back to the time when this was true. Remember when you had told your son or daughter to do something? Maybe it's take out the trash, clean up your room, whatever it was. You gave them a task to do. And then maybe a surprise. Maybe you told them ahead of time. You said, let's go out for ice cream. Let's spend some time at the park. And there was a specific reward that you uh, gave to your children. It's amazing to me that God in his love actually lets us know that there are rewards 
he actually uses rewards, could I say, as incentives for us to obey. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, I love you, and that's the only reason. And that would have been enough. Only reason we need to obey God, he loves us. We love him because he first loved us. But God decided to let us know that there are specific rewards that he wants to lavish on his children. And 1 Corinthians 3 reminds us, of, reminds us of that. If any man's work abide, that gold, silver, and precious stones, he shall receive a reward. I just want to ask the, the question here. So how do I know I'm living a life that will endure the testing fire of the judgment seat of Christ? 1 Corinthians 13 gives us three enduring qualities. Remember what they are? Faith, hope, and love. Those three things. And so our life, if we're characterized by faith, really there could be a whole series of messages preached ju just on each of those three qualities. But those are three enduring qualities that God guarantees will endure the testing fire. Faith, uh, simply God-dependence, recognizing we need God. Hope, the courage to keep going. When the going gets tough. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap. Confident expectation. I might not see the blessing right now. Yes, his presence and, and all of that. But the fullness of his blessing. Wow. You will reap. You will reap. That's a promise. First Corinthians 3.14, if any man's work abide, in which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward, faith, hope, and the crowning jewel, love, love, charity. We receive God's love and become a conduit, a channel of God's love to others. I want to move on and highlight, we talked about just the focus of God and just lavishing his children. He wants us to experience fellowship with him today. He wants us to experience fellowship with Him right now. But He wants to bless us with eternal rewards as well. And I want to just highlight a few examples of people in the Bible who had this kind of eternal vision. They were motivated, yes, by God's love, but there was an eternal vision. There was a focus on the eternal prize. Can we walk through some of these examples here tonight just briefly? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Talking about having confidence at His coming. Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, he recognizes, he's really giving his testimony. He says, I place no confidence in myself, my own resources. And then he says, I count all things but loss that I may win, that I may know Christ. That's his sole desire, to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. He recognizes at this point in his life he hasn't yet attained. So he wrote this, of course, before 2 Timothy. Um, and at this point, he's still running the race. He still uh, has more room to grow in his life. And he recognizes that. 
And he says, I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I've been apprehended of Christ. And then verse number 14, Philippians chapter 3, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's pressing, he's straining for the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. The idea of an athlete that's stretching out toward the finish line. Is that how you live your life, keeping your eye on the finish line? And then in verse 11, after he, he says this desire to know Christ, he, he says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Can I say here tonight, dog, dogmatically, he's not talking about wondering if he's going to be able to make it to heaven or not. You realize when you get saved, it's eternal. It's forever. You can never lose your salvation. Aren't you grateful for that? Paul is not saying, well, I, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, so that I can get to heaven. No. The word resurrection, actually, it's the only time it's used here, the Greek word, it's preceded by a preposition, which is literally out of, ek, out of. So literally, if I can attain to the out of or out from resurrection. So there's a, special, there's a sense where there's a subgroup, a special uh, resurrection, a calling out of faithful believers. The ones who will receive those eternal rewards. And that's what Paul is pressing toward, to be able to attain to that special resurrection to receive all the eternal rewards that God wants him to have. That's Paul. How about go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The faith chapter. I love this. Heroes of faith, and I'm sure uh, Pastor Ingram has preached uh, messages uh, on this. These passages, they're powerful. I love the, the examples that are given. I want to just highlight a couple. Abraham, verse number 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Quite the obedience. Where Abraham sets no conditions on his obedience. Wow. Wow. And then he goes on, the, the passage says in verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then verse number 14, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, and they might have had opportunity to have returned, but now they desire a better country. Where is Abraham's focus? In verse 10 and verse 16, where is Abraham's focus? Heaven, and could I say more specifically, the new Jerusalem, the city which hath foundations. Described in Revelation 21 and 22. Powerful, picturesque passages that describe the beauty of this city. 1,500 miles square at the base, 1,500 miles high. The city is not just streets of gold. The city is made of gold. The walls around the city are 300 miles high, and the gates, can you imagine this? Twelve gates, each gate 
one pearl. Imagine the size of that pearl, those pearls. And then the foundation, there's 12 foundations, each a different precious stone. There's no need for the sun or the moon. It's the lamb, the centerpiece. The focal point is Jesus Christ, the lamb, who is the light thereof. This is the city that Abraham is looking for. And it's what's giving him courage to leave his family, to leave everything he knows and follow the voice of God in unconditional obedience. Because he recognizes this world is not my home. I'm not putting my stakes down, my roots down deep here because I'm just a sojourner. I'm just passing through. I'm looking for that city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Let's look at another one, Moses. Moses, verse number 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Can we re read the last phrase together? For he had respect unto the recompense of reward. Wow. Here it is again. Moses. He chooses to suffer affliction. He chooses to take the unpopular route. Why? Because he has respect unto the recompense of reward. We look back down through the rest of Hebrews chapter 11. You see a group of individuals starting in verse 32. It's interesting the names that are mentioned uh, in the chapter. Of course, uh, some are not necessarily a surprise. Gideon, Barak, you've got Samson uh, in the group, Jephthah, David also, and Samuel and of the prophets. And it goes through and talks about these amazing exploits that these group of people uh, accomplish. And then in the middle of verse 35, it says, and others. And others. Their journey of faith looked a lot different. There were some that accomplished great exploits. But there were some that experienced intense suffering. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might, here it is, obtain a better resurrection. Wow. And then the ultimate example, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing that we also are compassed about, surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, all these men and women of faith who have gone before, here's our responsibility. Let us run the race set before us. Laying aside the waste, laying aside the sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience. That word's endurance. The race set before us. Looking unto Jesus. He's the provision. He's our enabler. The author. He's the one who's taken the lead before us. He's the finisher, the completer of our faith. Here's the phrase I want to focus on. Jesus. How did Jesus endure the cross? 
You catch what it's saying? Jesus. Yes, Jesus loved us. But this passage highlights the fact that Jesus had his eye on the eternal prize. The time when he would be reunited with his Father, exalted and set at the right hand of God. Verse 3 says, consider him. He's not just, Jesus is not just our enabler, he's our example. Which tells me that God does intend for rewards, eternal rewards, to be a motivation for how we live today. Keeping our eyes on the prize. Keeping our eyes on those eternal rewards that God wants to lavish on His children. We think of heaven. God's the one who gets all the glory. The way that God is glorified the most is when His children walk in fellowship with Him today, but then also when His children experience everything God intends to give in eternity. This is some powerful stuff. Keeping an eternal vision. I want to just close with this uh, diagram. All of us in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 are called to run a race. And I have a few uh, pictures here that have just helped me to visualize um, some things. You and I as believers, the moment we got saved, the Bible says we're all called to run a race. We don't know when our last breath will be, but at the time we take our last breath, this life as we know it on this earth will be closed. There will be no opportunity to undo or to change anything about this earthly life once we breathe our last breath. And we'll have that sobering responsibility to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, to stand before the Lord. The fire of his eyes piercing through in just a moment. See right through us. I think there's a sense where all of us, just for a second, oh, if I only knew the glory, it would have changed the way I lived. But at that point, it'd be too late. We can't go back and change anything. But as we run this race, we realize there's a lot of difficulties. There's a lot of mountains, obstacles, a lot of things in our lives that feel like, wow, how am I going to make this? Temptations. A mountain to overcome. Hurts. Things in the past that people have done that have grievously hurt you and pained you. That's an obstacle on this race of faith. Certainly chastening. That's what Hebrews 12, the rest of Hebrews 12 
highlights. God loves us so much. He actually brings circumstances in our life to when we're away from Him to draw us back. Certainly trials like Job where he experienced intense trials. Have you experienced some trials? Maybe there's something you're going through right now. But there's some mountains on your race, race of faith, your journey, and you say, wow, if this was changed, and this was changed, and this wasn't in my life, and that person hadn't have done that, then my life could look a whole lot better. Ever thought that before? But it's in your race. It's in your path. And all of us have a custom race, a custom journey, and there's different people, different circumstances, different experiences, and they're hurdles, they're obstacles. And there's two options today, two choices. God says this, Romans 5.20, it says, Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It doesn't matter how high these mountains are. God's grace is always sufficient for, no, for whatever circumstance it is. My grace is sufficient for you. So we can choose to lean hard, humble ourselves, acknowledge, God, I need you. Lean on His grace and overcome these obstacles. And the other option is very sobering, and we see it in our world today, perhaps. If we look back in our own life, I know I can publicly testify that there have been times when I've been turned out of the way. Where a temptation, where a trial, where a hurt, where something happened and I failed to take hold of the grace of God and I was turned out of the way. I'm thankful for God's grace and as he, He's always extending an open arm, an open invitation to you. So maybe you look at your life and you say, wow, you know, I've gotten tripped up a lot of times on temptations. I've gotten tripped up on bitterness. I've gotten tri tri tripped up not recognizing God's loving hand. I've got, wow, there's been some difficult things I've gotten tripped up on. I failed to take hold of the grace of God. I think all of us could testify to that fact. And I'm glad tonight that as long as we're breathing, we're still here tonight. That there's still opportunity to claim the grace and the blood of Christ to cleanse those points where we disobey, where we fell short of God's grace and be restored. There's still opportunity while you and I have breath to go all the way. By God's grace, I was able to go forward Amen. with God. Yes, amen. And just like Paul, where he runs the race, and at the end of his life, he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which God the righteous judge shall give me, not to me only, but to all those who love His appearing. I'm looking forward to heaven. And by God's grace, I want to experience all of the rewards that God wants to lavish on us. Let's go back to our text. 1 John chapter 2. 
I love this verse because it's so succinct. It gives us the key and the motivation all in one verse. It says this, And now, little children, abide. That's the key. Fellowship with Jesus today. Walk with Jesus. That when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?